Welcome to AQR's The Curious Investor. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Figali. On this show, we break down some of the most important ideas in finance to help us make better investment decisions. In this episode, we're exploring the methods of some of the greatest investors of all time. Warren Buffett, Bill Gross, George Soros, and Peter Lynch. If you're listening to this show, you probably know these names. These guys have had incredible track records, and we try to find out how they did it. Our episode today is based on two papers that folks here at AQR worked on. So Dan and Gabe asked me to awkwardly introduce myself. <laughs> My name is David Kabiller, co-founder of AQR. David and his co-authors wrote Buffett's Alpha, a paper that takes a deep look at the drivers of Warren Buffett's returns. We'll also be talking to the authors of a related paper called Superstar Investors. That paper applies the same ideas from Buffett's Alpha to three other legendary investors, Gross, Soros, and Lynch. My name is Jordan Brooks. I work at AQR. I oversee fixed income and global macro strategies. And I'll also be interviewing one of Jordan's co-authors, a man who lives for writing finance papers and dabbles in podcasting, Dan Villalon. Dan, I hope you're ready for some hard-hitting questions. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, one more thing. We're going to be talking about factors in this episode. So if you'd like a refresher, go back and check out episode two. So without further ado, we present to you Superstar Investors. To start, we need to define an important concept, alpha. There are many ways to explain alpha, but let's have AQR co-founder David Kibiller do the heavy lifting. If you think about alpha, it's let's say it's something, uh, a unique source of return that is unexplained by some type of exposure. So for example, um, if the stock market is measured by the S&P 500 is up 10%, any return in excess of that would be considered alpha. You know, so if you're up 12, the market is up 10. For simplicity standpoint, we'll just say that's two percentage points of, of alpha. And that's the skill. The rising tide lifts everybody up 10. Your skill is in excess of that. So that's alpha, the amount by which you beat the rising tide adjusting for risk. And today, we want to figure out why the best investors are so good at capturing alpha. Now, Dan, there are a lot of investors you could have looked at. How did you end up narrowing it down? Actually, that part was pretty fun. We had this long email chain going around AQR with a bunch of people submitting their picks for this investor dream team. And there were sort of three rules to make the list. The investor had to be really well known. They had to have a long track record. And ideally, we were looking for investors that represented different asset classes. Okay, so how many investors did you end up with? We settled on four names that seemed to make everybody's list. They were Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, Bill Gross when he ran PIMCO's Total Return Fund, George Soros at the Quantum Fund, and Peter Lynch during his time at Fidelity's Magellan Fund. So Buffett buys companies, Lynch managed an equity mutual fund, Gross is a bond investor, and Soros is a macro guy. And with all these household names, you must have had a lot of information on them, right? Definitely. And having lots of data allowed Jordan and me to try to answer a bunch of important questions. Well, you want to learn from the best and brightest, right? You want to see why are people good? Do they have clairvoyance about the move in certain security prices? Do they have a philosophy that they stick through through good times and bad? Are they able to time the market? And to follow what Jordan just said, Another reason we were so excited about this paper is because a lot of people, including ourselves, admire these guys so much. People love to hype up genius investors. But there's not a ton of empirical analysis 
to explain their performance. So walk me through how you guys did it. I'd love to say this was some super complicated, groundbreaking process, but it was actually pretty straightforward. So take Buffett as an example. He's got this great line that goes, whether we're talking about stocks or socks, I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. So we basically said, okay, if he likes high quality, cheap stocks, let's see if the quality and value factors can explain some of his returns. Essentially, we're testing whether the investment philosophy, as opposed to the individual securities, can help explain the alpha. So you're trying to figure out how much of an investor's alpha can be explained by well-known factors. Or I can ask you and Jordan the question a different way. Do these guys have some unexplainable magic touch? The answer is no. Huh. I thought we all agreed that these managers are superstar geniuses, right? Well, they are. But what our results suggest is their greatness is in large part reward for exposure to some of the factors we talked about earlier in the season. There's a commonality to the performance of all these guys. And the commonality was they had an approach, they had a philosophy, and they stuck to it. I don't know. It sounds like what you guys are saying is if you could travel back in time, pick a few factor strategies, and hit play, you'd eventually become a superstar investor yourself. It's like what these guys did wasn't actually that impressive. That in no way besmirches their ability. If anything, first of all, they're the guys who identified these sources of returns. They're the ones who had the fortitude to stick with them through many periods. All the factors we look at in this type of a study, every factor I know of, goes through periods of outperformance and underperformance, right? These managers rode that out. We've talked before about how even the best strategies can go through some pretty tough times. And to be clear, each of our superstars here went through bouts of prolonged underperformance. But what made these guys stand out was that even when the going got tough, they had the conviction to stick with their philosophy. And that's really hard to do. David Kabiller says conviction is key. And so one big takeaway from Warren Buffett is discipline is really important to being a long-term successful investor. I would even say that people should take these results as good news. You know, imagine if we'd found the opposite result, that these superstars alpha was completely unexplainable. That would basically mean we didn't learn much in terms of what may have contributed to all that alpha. Instead, we found that a handful of factors may have gotten you a lot of the way there. And that surprised a lot of people. So there is some belief, and there's a lot of talk, that Warren Buffett is a great stock picker. There's a simplistic point of view. You know, he's one of the richest people in the world and has created his great success. There'll be an announcement that he acquires a stake in a company and the stock market trades up. David and his colleagues, Andrea Frazzini and Lasse Peterson, found there's a lot more to Buffett than just picking a handful of good stocks. But when we wrote the paper, we found a more multidimensional reason for his skill. And so if there's a lot of investors following Warren Buffett based on that perception, they may be disappointed. And the main reasons that David and his co-authors found are actually pretty well known. A preference for value, high quality, and low-risk stocks. And in fact, if you want to play with the data yourself, we've got them on our website, aqr.com curious. But it's the next ingredient that's a little less known. Leverage. When people think about leverage, they often think about getting a loan to finance the purchase of a car or a house. And you can think about it the same way for a company. A company issues debt as a loan to finance other business activities. And loans aren't free. You need to pay for them. They contribute to a company's cost of raising money, or its cost of capital. 
And I think Warren Buffett has been extremely skillful in creating a very low cost of capital. And uh, as long as your cost of capital is lower than your returns, you're in good shape. Leverage is a risk. But like many other risks in investing, there may be rewards if you're able to manage it prudently. Berkshire Hathaway, like many companies, issues debt to get some of its leverage. But it also has another, more unique source of leverage. And that comes from its insurance and reinsurance businesses. That's right. When you sell insurance, you collect a premium. And you can think of that premium, or cash that you're collecting, as a source of leverage to make more investments. And that's what David and his co-authors found in their paper. And by the way, I don't want to make it sound like reinsurance is not without risk. Part of the brilliance is underwriting the risk, pricing those risks, quote-unquote, correctly. Basically, through the structures he's created, Buffett has allowed himself to earn extra returns by leveraging his portfolio efficiently. The paper estimates his leverage to be around 1.6 times to 1 from 1976 through 2012. Of course, leverage is risky, and that can sound scary. The word risk, since the great financial crisis, has been demonized. And I think what we really need to do is recognize that with no risk, there is no return, and that keeping your money in cash or not taking risk is dangerous in and of itself. Just to review, we've been discussing two papers, Buffett's Alpha and Superstar Investors. Dan co-authored Superstar Investors with Jordan Brooks and Severin Tucci. Now, these papers have different scopes, but for the most part, they come to similar conclusions. Here's Jordan again. The commonality is that their performance is explained not by market timing or rotating in and out of styles, but having a um, factor-based approach. They had an investment philosophy that they followed. And the coolest part was that this is even true with investors who work in different asset classes, like Bill Gross, who invests in bonds, or George Soros, who's probably best known for investing in currencies. These managers may not view their philosophies as factor-driven, but with Gross, for example, the paper actually found three factors that helped explain a lot of his alpha. Low risk, credit, and volatility. Yeah, and another thing I loved about this paper was related to timing. We talked about how value strategies can go through years of underperformance. Well, the same goes for any strategy. But are these guys good enough to know when that's going to happen? Or even more broadly... Could they get out of the stock market altogether before something like the dot-com bubble burst? This was something Jordan looked at. I think it's also a really valuable lesson about how much you should expect to get out of timing factors or timing the market. We see very little evidence that these managers have been able to add by changing their investment styles. In some sense, by, you know, for lack of a better word, by stock picking. Okay, so the conclusion remains the same. It's not about the timing or the fortune-telling geniuses. It's about these philosophies and the ability to stick with it. But there was one pretty big curveball in the paper. I think Lynch was probably the biggest surprise. There are a lot of different factors that co-move with Lynch's performance. They just don't explain it all away. But when you read about Lynch, he would have enormous checklists for individual securities. So, you know, you can imagine that these were, you know, this type of factors that we're looking at quality, size, and so on and so forth, were part of this checklist, right? Those were kind of a filter on the universe, but then there was still an assessment beyond that about, you know, where the stock is going to go. Peter Lynch was quoted saying things like, 
go for a business that any idiot can run. Because sooner or later, any idiot probably is going to be running it. Or invest in what you know and know why you own it. But these don't easily translate to a repeatable factor strategy. Exactly. Like all the other superstars, Lynch had lots of alpha. But what was unique with Lynch was even after we accounted for a bunch of well-known factors, he still had lots of alpha. Obviously, the guy is unbelievable, a superstar, hence the title. Um, Um, Nice plug. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want to take a step back. Dan, you all did this big study. You analyzed all this data on how to be a great investor. And then you just go and publish the results for everyone to see? And what's the catch? Well, Gabe, that's a great question. And, you know, to answer the question, I'd say there's at least four and maybe up to six different reasons. The first, part A. You know what, Dan? Hold up. Let's just ask David instead. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably a better idea. We want educated investors. I think when you educate people about the risk and return and give them insight into how it works, clients are able to better stick with these things through tougher times and are better rewarded by earning that return. So there is a self-interest in creating smarter investors who are then more committed. Our four superstar investors are deserving of their fame, and they have more in common with each other than many folks might think. When you look at their track records, they seem to look a lot like some of our favorite factor strategies like value, momentum, defensive, and others. And to be clear, that doesn't mean these investors aren't brilliant, but it does mean they are super consistent and highly disciplined. To paraphrase Buffett himself, a simple strategy doesn't mean an easy strategy. These investors developed their own investment philosophies decades ago and stuck with them through thick and thin. For folks who wanna dive deeper into superstar investors, head over to our website at aqr.com slash curious. There you'll find links to the papers we talked about and even some of the data sets if you want to do your own analysis. And if you want to reach out to two superstar hosts, send us an email at curious at aqr.com. We'd love to hear from you. On our next episode, we delve into the evolution of quantitative investing and how technology is changing the way we interact with the market. You know, there's a group of young rocket scientist types. Uh, They're doing something. We don't know what they're doing, but they seem to be generating really good returns doing that. Thanks for listening to The Curious Investor. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Figali. See you all next time. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of AQR itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions, which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. AQR does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, 
is made or given by or on behalf of AQR as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including any direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, AQR Capital Management, LLC, all rights reserved. I've got another question here. So the returns that you looked at in this paper were net returns. The factors that you were Nobody's looking at. Nobody's interested in this sort of technical question. <laughs>